Welcome everyone to our final conversation for 2021. A point lost too often in the minds of lawmakers is that behind countless papers, there is a deeper story of a person trying to quit smoking. Real people taking brave action, facing struggle, and to be quite honest, we are not really helping them here in the United States. That's not the same situation in Europe. Definitely in Britain and growing across continental Europe, there is an acknowledgement that vaping has a positive role to play to help people quit smoking. Our guest this week, Michael Landel of the World Vapors Alliance, a coalition of real people who want vaping to be recognized for what it is, the single most effective smoking cessation option available. Thank you for joining us, Michael. Why don't you start by telling us a bit more of what the World Vapors Alliance is all about? Sure. Thank you for, for having me. It is a great pleasure. Um, so basically, the World Vapors Alliance is a consumers organization, and we try to help vapors to raise their voices and empower them to make um, a difference in their own communities and try to make that as easy as possible for them and direct them through the regulatory and policy jungle which is happening in all European countries and on the EU level but also worldwide. Um, basically our, our um, membership uh, construction is that we have individual members. At the moment it's uh, about 20,000 individual members but also other vaping associations who work on national uh, levels. At the moment we have 26 partner organizations around the world and we try to support them, but also the other way around, they support us when things are happening in their countries and communities. And we try to cooperate as much as possible and to enable individual vapors to raise their voices and make it as hard as possible for policymakers to ignore our voices. Because I think millions of consumers around the world are not anecdotes anymore. That is proof that vaping works and it's time that politicians listen to us because way too long consumers got completely ignored when it comes to to vaping and vaping regulation especially. Well, I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for all of the work that you're doing to bring consumer voices to the forefront in Europe. Um, why don't you tell us a bit more about how vaping is viewed on the ground in Europe and how are you seeing momentum building for vaping as a harm reduction tool? I think... It, obviously, it's a little bit hard to generalize that for for whole Europe because we see quite different um, countries and different approaches how they treat vaping. Plus, additionally, I think in the last one and a half and two years, we saw a little bit of a um, swing in the opinion of policymakers when it comes to vaping. You mentioned it already. Our all beacon of hope always is the UK. I think that is the best practice example for, for every country. There we see vaping uh, is an effective method to help people to, to quit smoking. And on the national level, we see it with smoking rates um, being slashed way faster than other comparable countries um, due to their openness to, to vaping. So I think it is crucial that the UK stays on track with their, with their current approach because I think that makes it also very hard for other policymakers to, to ignore the fact that vaping is such a helpful tool because um, you don't need a degree. You just need to see the, at the numbers in the UK that it works uh, and they can't just brush that off that easily anymore. Uh, when it comes to the European Union in general, um, it is probably for most listeners, it's good to know that most uh, regulation when it comes to smoking, but also vaping is done on the EU level and the national, level, uh, the national um, countries implement this regulation then. So the EU is for Europe the most important player. And historically, the European Union is, is or was very harsh when it comes to vaping and vaping regulations. So last year, there was a big new approach to tackle cancer, the so-called European Beating Cancer Plan, um, where obviously the smoking-induced illnesses play a big part um, in the prevention of them. And back then, we started our first campaign, Back Vaping Beat Smoking, um, with the goal to implement the harm reduction principle in general in this plan, but also to ensure that vaping is uh, endorsed, especially for smokers, 
to to switch. Um, and back then, it was still uh, very hard to to get to get the attention of policymakers at the European Commission. As I said, is usually very hard against vaping. So they the they wanted a full flavor ban. They talked about increased taxation, the extension of outdoor smoking bans to vaping as well. So it looked very bad. And then we said, okay, we need to do something and um, started a campaign targeting the European Parliament. Um, so we set up a petition, contacted um, directly from our part, um, members of the parliament, so the politicians, our representatives, but also, I think, what was, was the most important part to encourage uh, vapors to directly contact the politicians as well. And we even toured through 13 countries, I think, with a bus and met vapors and um, recorded their vaping testimonials and brought all those stories to the politicians. Because I, I think the most powerful um, thing to to show a politician are those actual stories, the hundreds of thousands of stories of people who were able to quit finally smoking thanks to vaping. Um, and I think obviously not only not just our campaign, because there were many, many people involved and lots of experts. You had Clive Bates a couple of weeks ago, I think um, experts uh, chipped in. Um, and I think all of this effort um, switched it a little bit the perception especially of the European Parliament the politicians because two weeks ago they voted on the final European beating cancer plan um, and the first time in history I think in the European Union the harm reduction principle was implemented when it comes to tobacco control so that is a good thing the parliament for the first time admitted that vaping in their words may help some smokers to quit um, obviously, if I would have drafted the, the beating cancer plan, it would sound a bit different. But when it comes to the European Union, it's already a, it's already progress, I would say. So that was very, very good. Oh, that's great to hear. Uh, I can definitely uh, relate. I think we have a little bit of a similar comparison over here in the United States, uh, where we have, you know, federal vaping policy, but we've also got uh, 50 different states who all regulate and approach the issue differently. So it's a quite a complicated subject, how it varies from area to area. Um, but that's great news to hear about the progress that you all are making and uh, the language that came out in that beating cancer plan. That's excellent. Um, and I agree with you. I think one of our strongest strengths is our consumer base and those powerful voices. You're right. They're not just anecdotes. These are real people whose lives are being changed every day for these products. Um, so that's incredible that you guys have been able to really bring those voices to the forefront over in Europe. Um, I want to ask you, in the coming uh, new year, what are your plans to uh, build further allies inside the European Parliament? Yeah, I mean, it sounds all very positive now, but obviously the, the fight is not over because there are also in this plan some strange proposals. For example, they want the EU Commission to evaluate which flavors are attractive to kids and then somehow ban those flavors and other flavors are supposed to be attractive for adults. I have no idea how they want to distinguish that or it doesn't really make sense to me. So I think it's still a big threat there. And that's why um, I think it is crucial that we keep, keep up this base. And um, I think we have a good uh, amount of individual members now um, and as you said, I think it is important to, to keep this pressure up and to constantly contact the, the politicians because a lot of times, I think we will talk about a little bit of this, most of those politicians, I would say, are not, maybe I'm naive with that, but I think they are not radical anti-vaping advocates or something like that. Most of them are just not informed enough. They read the scaremongering headline in one of the newspapers and then think vaping is the same as smoking. And I think the more stories they hear from actual people or if people send them current um, studies or something like that, it helps to make them think more about this topic. And I think this is the most important part. So we will keep up our work uh, in the, on this part, and obviously our organization itself is, um, let's say, very activism-driven. So we will do a lot of those kind of things next year as well. 
um, to give vapors visibility as well and try to get into media because we I think we all know that we are all struggling with with getting the attention of media. Um, since we don't produce the scary stories, we produce the good stories. It's unfortunate that it's that hard to get into, get some attention in the media world. But um, we will keep definitely up with that and try our best to, to raise the voices of all individual consumers in Europe, but also around the world. Fantastic. You know, I've, I've had so many experiences of exactly what you're talking about. I don't think a lot of these uh, policymakers and lawmakers start out um, as rabid anti-vaping uh, zealots. I think a lot of times you're right, they get fed so much information uh, by some very loud, very well-funded uh, Bloomberg voices. And and you're absolutely right. We focus on that every week here on the show, the uh, really biased and toxic media coverage, you know, so much, so many clickbait type headlines that that make it very hard for those of us who are out there trying to spread the truth about harm reduction and smoking cessation. Um, But very briefly, I wanted to make a note to our audience as we continue our conversation with Michael. um, We're going to be doing something a little different today. During our conversation, we'd like to invite members of the audience to comment or offer insights on any of the topics we're discussing. If you want to join the conversation on any particular topic, it's very simple. Just click the button in the bottom left corner of the space that says request and has a microphone on it and we can let you into the space uh, to offer your insights or ask questions. Um, Turning back to Michael, I wanted to talk to you about activism. Uh, Vaping exists because there was a group of people who wanted an alternative to smoking, but the public health advocates, many of whom are backed with millions in funding from Bloomberg Philanthropies or like the FDA, they're funded with half a billion dollars a year in uh, user fees that come directly from cigarette sales themselves, Um, all of these groups seem to have one message, which is stop vaping. Um, As a result, for decades, the public in the United States is only hearing one side of this argument. Um, They're hearing from the Truth Initiative, Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, the American Heart Association, the FDA, the CDC. what, what I want to ask is that it seems like the World Vapors Alliance has gained a beachhead in the public argument for why vaping matters. And I want to ask, what are the lessons that you've learned um, that other countries, uh, you know, particularly here in the United States, what can we apply from what you've learned? Yeah, I think generally you are completely right because um, all those organizations seem to to have lost sight of the actual goal we all have, and it is helping smokers to quit smoking. Um, so for me, that is always um, hard to understand why why there is such a hatred against vaping. Um, but yeah, we our organization is now only about two years, not even two years old. So obviously, most of our time was was unfortunately dictated by COVID and lockdowns and things like that. So for us, it was quite natural as an activist organization that we need to be creative um, when it comes to activism during COVID times. Um, So basically, what we did during the the first lockdown, that was Brussels or Belgium in general was in full lockdown. But there was a very important hearing for the European Parliament about the beating cancer plan and how to treat vaping. So we said, okay, we can't be there in person. So let's do at least something to gain some some attention for, for our side of the story. So we decided to put our faces on cardboard cutouts. And then we placed, I don't know, 50 cardboards in front of the European Parliament and had a cardboard protest there. Um, And I think that worked very well because I I have not seen any other organization doing it, first of all, but also, um, even though we can't be there in person, we showed that there are people and organizations who disagree with this negative message. Um, Or another example was we did uh, in the Netherlands when they discussed the full flavor ban, a light show where we um, projected pro-vaping or also messages why flavors matter on public buildings to get attention, first of all, obviously, of, of regular people as well, but also from media. So I think, and that can be replicated in all countries. So I think we need to be um, very creative uh, and also a little bit of, um, I don't know, what's the word for that, brave, probably, 
uh, and not afraid to to get some backlash with our with our activism because otherwise we can't get into into mainstream media or things like that. And one of my favorite activism part what we did was also in the Netherlands with um, the flavor ban. There we were lucky because there was no lockdown at this time. So we handed out two sorts of ice cream. The one was plant ice cream with nothing in there. And the other one was ice cream with flavor. And we didn't tell people that we gave them before the, the first one, the, the blunt one. And obviously nobody liked it. And then they got the, the actual ice cream. And that um, showed that flavors matter also for adults. And it's not just a, a kid's thing or whatever the anti-vapors always claim. Um, so I think those kind of things can be very easily implemented in other countries. And we are always... Uh, happy if other organizations copy our ideas or if we can help um, to to organize those kind of things with with our experience what we had already um, or what we also did is uh, the collected video statements from our bus tour we brought to brussels with a video wall and a loudspeaker and just played it in front of the parliament so basically to force the politician to listen to our voices I love those ideas. I mean, you guys have been do doing so many great creative things. I, I think it's wonderful because we always have to remember that uh, we're dealing with real people, right? And so anything that we can do creatively to really make an impression and change people's minds is fantastic. And I love what you did with the ice cream. That's so great. Because you're right, it, it's such a, a, a false um, presupposition, this idea that there are certain uh, flavors that, uh, you know, appeal to kids somehow more than they appeal to adults. And I mean, you know, we don't have to look very far around, you know, the local grocery store or supermarket to figure out that's not the case. Yes. Um, certainly with uh, ice cream, I don't know how it is handled in Europe, but here in the States, we have no shortage of flavored alcohol varieties that certainly are intended for adult consumption. And so um, it's great to hear you guys fighting back against some of these um, false ideas in such creative ways. Exactly. And the good thing with this is also you can show non-vapors very easily that it is an obvious thing that flavors matter uh, or even we did that in front of the Dutch parliament and some politicians walked by and they didn't really have anything to do with with vaping and but they were curious and then you, you we explained it to them and then it obviously makes sense that also adults like flavors for us that is clear but for some reason um, those politicians who are involved in the regulation of vaping they they don't seem to get it or don't want to get it Right, right. Um, just another note for our audience, if you're just joining us, we mentioned a little earlier that uh, we're taking comments and questions. Uh, so if you'd like to join the conversation, just hit that uh, little microphone symbol in the bottom left that says request and we'll bring you on uh, to go ahead and ask your questions or make your comments. Um, but let's turn uh, briefly to talk about uh, the World Health Organization. And here on uh, AVM's Twitter space, we've dedicated an awful lot of time to talking about the role of the WHO and, uh, you know, what role they're playing in stifling uh, the advance of vaping. Um, and I wanted to ask about a great piece uh, you wrote recently for Filter about the WHO's, quote, backroom gamble with millions of lives. I wonder if you would walk us through the points you made in that piece. Sure. I mean, we calculated once um, what would happen if other countries would implement the same um, vaping framework as the UK has right now and compared their smoking and vaping rates to other countries. And it came out that basically 200 million people around the world could switch from smoking to vaping if those countries would implement the same framework. So that was our main message uh, for our campaign during COP9. Um, and we tried to illustrate that and went also to Geneva with our vape bus and the testimonial um, wall and tried to, um, let's say, put pressure on the delegates there to listen to us. But unfortunately, the WHO is way worse than every uh, EU institution and probably as every US institution. Um, we were probably there for two minutes on the parking lot and they kicked us out. And it was not the problem that there was a van. 
the problem was that it has a, had a pro va uh, vaping message on it. So we they had no interest in listening. We had to go away right away. And I think the problem that this showcases the general pro problem of the WHO. There is no transparency, um, no involvement of consumers of of independent experts. Um, they they are they they are in their closed bubble, and every only people win who are who are the toughest uh, against vaping, and that doesn't make sense if. If obviously your goal is to get rid of smoking-induced illnesses, so that is a huge problem, and we try to to tackle that. Um, I don't really have much optimism with the WHO. I mean, we all see what they tweet constantly, and um, they give out medals to to politicians who ban vaping. Um, so I think, obviously, I would I would for for me it would be time to defund this F, at least the F, FCTC um, on the other hand I was at the beginning very hopeful and since there were no real decisions on vaping this time at COP so that will be more at the next COP the, the role of the UK is a curious one because since they left the European Union they are not bound to the EU general um, opinion and, and vote anymore so they can do their own thing when it comes to the next negotiations and I think um, vapors in the UK but also international vapors should really encourage um, the UK to stand up against the WHO I think this is the the, the most promising route because um, it's hard to understand that a country accepts and, fund and funds an organization which is trying to implement the complete opposite what they propose in their own country um, but I mean, as I said, my, my general optimism in that regard, that's one of the few regards where I'm not very optimistic. But on the other hand, I think we also, the same thing applies there as well. We need to fight back and just put pressure on them and especially on the national countries to send the delegates there to stand up against this, this anti-vaping thing, because this will have otherwise disastrous consequences. Um, not so much probably in, the, in, in Europe or also the US, but especially in low and middle income countries where the WHO um, has a huge role and what they say is kind of sacrosanct and then um, they follow those kind of recommendations. So COP10 will be probably very, very important for the vaping community around the world and we will definitely be there and have a huge campaign about that. That is for sure. Fantastic. You know, I, I tend to agree with you. It's so bizarre to me that the WHO has these very secretive type meetings, um, you know, where these major, major things are being discussed and decided upon, and they're, they're not open to any kind of outside input at all. It's It seems set up to, to be biased from the very beginning. And that's a real shame. Because like you say, um, you know, while that may not have um, much impact on us here in the U.S., it has a tremendous toll on um, lower income countries around the world where smoking rates are through the roof. And it's almost um, bizarre to me, the countries that could most benefit from vaping are the ones that are, you know, most susceptible to this negative influence of the WHO. Um, yeah, and 200 but, people is a lot. Mm -hmm. 200 million people, sorry. So it's it's not nothing, and that's why it's so important to to push back at least. Um, yeah, but this organization, and obviously we all know where most of their funding is coming from as well. To mention finally once Bloomberg, um, and obviously as you said right at the beginning, we are, we are battling this huge apparatus of anti vapors, and especially on the WHO level, I think you can see that and the influence of of the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They're certainly managing to find a way to wreak havoc on us here in the States outside of the WHO. So um, all of us here are very sympathetic to the Bloomberg influence on that for <laughs> sure. Uh, we, we are all living through it ourselves in our own way. Um, but I wanted to move now into our media lapdog segment, which, as you referenced before, this ongoing um, misinformation in the media is one of the biggest things that, that we highlight and fight against here on the show. 
Um, but I wanted to turn now to the prospective FDA nominee, Robert Califf. Um, he recently had uh, his Senate confirmation hearing on Tuesday morning. Over the course of several hours, senators appeared one at a time to fulfill their uh, constitutional duty to, quote, advise and consent by asking questions of Dr. Califf. Now we know that if senators, 100% of the questions would be about vaping, but how many questions did senators actually ask about vaping? And surprisingly, we only heard one question specifically about vaping in that hearing. Despite some prodding from the Washington Post, which ran a headline, quote, Biden's FDA pick faces questions about his tobacco response. Only two senators, Richard Burr and Tammy Baldwin, um, even broached the issue about tobacco or nicotine. Um, Senator Burr was critical of the FDA for being slow to review and approve vaping products, which we couldn't agree with more. And um, Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin um, led Dr. Califf to answer whether or not he would work with Congress to close the so-called synthetic nicotine loophole. Um, We talked earlier about the beachhead activists are starting to make with lawmakers. Can any of those lessons be applied to helping reporters understand that vaping needs to be a topic discussed among lawmakers and that its absence from the debate is actually the news they should be reporting? Because to me, it's shocking that during this huge uh, nomination hearing, so little of the conversation was, was devoted to this very big thing going on at FDA with this huge backlog of applications. And so so to me, it just seems so strange that the media was completely silent on the absence of questions and accountability regarding that topic. Yeah, I think that that is that is very baffling because it's it's um, for me always a bit surprising how especially politicians they want to regulate everything, but clearly they don't really know anything about this this topic. I mean, that's how I personally became an activist as well. I was working in the German parliament. And then we got new and new regulations and I talked to some of these politicians and they had no idea what vaping is, but feel confident enough to regulate it. So that doesn't really make sense to me. So that is surprising that in a hearing like this, um, this big topic is not brought up more often. But probably, as I said, right at the beginning, when it comes to media, um, they prefer the easy, easy, scary headline. I think that it's a simple explanation, but um, probably it's the most accurate one. If you get a headline that vaping leads to, I don't know, erectile dysfunction, now I say that, um, that, is, that is an easy article to write. Uh, but listening to a whole, whole hearing, um, that takes a little bit more time and research. So I think it's, it's a little bit about, about the... the, the tendency that negative stories run better than positive stories and i think as strange as it sounds vaping is such a positive story when you look into it that for most journalists it's a little bit hard to write about it because um i would say there is no no real negative story when when you really look into the numbers or or the real life experience from people um, but that's that's what makes it also a little bit frustrating, I would say. Probably that's the same for you, um, because we hear all these positive stories, and as soon as you open the newspaper, you read the negative stories. So it's kind of kind of hard sometimes to keep up the optimism. Well, it, it really is, and you know, more than just uh, hearing stories, I've seen it in my business. You know, every day for over a decade. I mean, you know, walking into any of our stores, you know, we have. Um, you know, pictures in some of our stores of all the people that we've helped quit smoking. Um, We've got these switch pits in our stores that I love because, you know, for a long time, uh, for many, many years, we've run a promotion to our customers that when you come in uh, with a pack of cigarettes and you're ready to, to quit and start vaping, you can, you know, sign your pack of cigarettes, write your quit date on there, toss them in the switch pit and get a really nice, um, you know, introductory kit to start vaping. And, you know, we had at one point, we had switch pits that lined the complete perimeter of our store. And each one of those packs of cigarettes in there, you know, represented a real human being who quit smoking. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's very sad to me because, you know, they're also amazing stories, but these are people that I know, people that, mm-hmm. you know, we've worked very 
very hard to help. And now to see them attacked like this and to try to see this taken away from them, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. It's, it's angering. It's, it's frustrating, you know, but yeah, absolutely. There are tons of people out there that can't be ignored anymore. And did ever come a politician to, to one of your shops and actually wanted to learn about the, the topic or issue? You know, um, yes, but that that's because we've we've always gone out of our way to educate our lawmakers, particularly our local local lawmakers. Um, we've done that quite a bit over the years where we've brought people into our stores and, you know, had them talk to our employees, had them talk to our customers, um, you know, showed them what we do, showed them the products and really walked people through it. And it's, it's a very time consuming thing to do because, you know, these usually take, you know, an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, to have somebody come in. But to me, it's been very valuable because every time we've ever done that, when, um, you know, lawmakers have left, you know, they've always made comments of, you know, this isn't what I was expecting. You know, yeah. I don't know what I was expecting, but this is incredible. You guys are doing amazing work over here. You know, you, you run such a great business. And so we've always had very, very positive feedback from those things, but um, we haven't had um, enough lawmakers take up our invitation to do that. But every time they have, we've always had a really great experience because it's like you said, um, it's just a matter of taking the time to show someone the other side of this and the everyday human impact of it. Um, but that, but we're a little bit of an exception there because we put a huge focus on that over the years. That is mm. not usually the case for most people, to be sure. But that That is so great because I think um, vape shops and the role of vape shops are so underestimated in the in the whole in the whole conversation when it comes to vaping um, and obviously for for me personally it's no problem to be being attacked but if you see on Twitter the stories when people close down their vape shops because they can't stand that anymore. That is so sad because especially the vape shops, they play such a crucial, crucial rules to help people for, uh, to, to transit from, from smoking to vaping. Because I think without this guidance, it's so much harder and you have no idea what to do at the beginning and how it works. And if you, have, if you are lucky and you find a good vape shop, then it's a super easy transition. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the uh, new pieces of data we have here in the States uh, came from Vapor Technology Association in the last, last couple of weeks. Uh, they did an economic impact analysis um, that was an update of some work they did three years ago. And what they found is that in the last three years, about one in four Uh, vape shops in the United States has actually closed their doors, which to me is a huge, a huge tragedy. Because as you say, I think those vape shops are the front lines where, where people are being educated about the products and, and you know, really helped and offered uh, some sort of expert guidance on, on how to get started, devices, um, settings, all of that type of thing, because it can be complicated to consumers when they first come to these products. Um, but in any case, I, I kind of, I, I joke sometimes that I think one of the most advocacy forward things uh, that business owners can do is, is to open more vape shops, right? And to help spread that available availability of the products to consumers is I every time we've ever opened a new store I mean I, I, I absolutely see it as an act of advocacy in its own type of way definitely definitely and one of my friends uh, who was a heavy smoker he said the relieving thing about going to a vape shop is you are not judged and not look and nobody looks down on you because you are a filthy smoker Quite the, uh, quite the opposite, because almost all vapors are former smokers. So we all know how that is and how hard it is to quit. So nobody's judging anybody else. Just the vape shops are trying to help them to transit away from, from smoking. And I think you can't really have that in any other way than in a vape shop. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so I wanted to turn now uh, to um, a bit of an interesting piece. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I'm not a subscriber to the leading newspaper in France, which is called Le Monde. Um, but we bring them up and it's timely that Michael is joining us this week because Le Monde uh, decided to move beyond being journalist and move into full-time activism. Um, they published a rather biased piece, uh, what we would refer to as a hit piece, trying to discredit the actual people who are lining up behind the World Vapors Alliance. And Michael, I wanted to give you the floor to tell us how this reporting unfolded and how you began 
began to realize it was slanted journalism? I mean, the first the first thing which which everybody needs to know about this piece is that the the author of it was cooperating with the so-called investigative desk. So it were three authors, one from Le Monde and two from from the investigative desk, and. They, I think, did it three or four months of research about WVA, but more actually about the Consumer Choice Center, which is the organization where we get our funding from. Um, and I think uh, Michelle Minton did a, a better analysis of the investigative desk within half an hour on Twitter. Very good thread. I really recommend that. And they are mainly funded by the University of Bath. And the University of Bath, as we know, is funded by Bloomberg. So for us, it was quite clear what kind of story they will write when they approached us. But still, I, I agreed even to, to talk to them in person and invited them to our bus tour stop in London. And we met them there. And talk, I talked with them, I think, an hour about vaping and, and, and all of the WBA things. Um, and then when the, uh, obviously, as I said, we knew it will be negative anyway, but I thought it's still better to talk to them. Um, and then it was basically a non-story. It was more about the Consumer Choice Center. And the weirdest thing for me was that they somehow tried to make vaping a right-wing, ultra-right or whatever that is all called. Um, conspiracy theory to push um, their ideology into the, the mainstream. I never heard of that. I don't know how they came up with that. It's super strange. And since it was the other, the other aspect that, that shows how, what a non-story it is, that they focused, I don't know, um, three paragraphs on our styles of closing with uh, close so my white sneakers made it into Le Monde, which I actually thought it's quite funny, but also strange that one of the biggest French newspapers is writing about my shoes and not a single word about the, the issue itself. So, yeah, it was um, very one-sided and, and also containing wrong information. And they tried to reach out again for other stories, but from now on, I won't, I won't give them another hour of my time I would say like that yeah what a, what a frivolous thing to focus on when you're talking about um, issues that literally pertain to people's life and death and their health um, that's absurd and uh, you know Michelle Mitten she's at the forefront of so much great research I'm not surprised uh, that she was able to take that apart so quickly and uh, of course there's a Bloomberg connection isn't there always a Bloomberg <laughs> connection in these types of things Oh, that's so frustrating. Well, what's been the reaction since you've uh, taken on uh, this bad Le Monde article publicly? I mean, I think generally they thought that is a groundbreaking investigative piece, but basically they collected public information, what is on our website publicly available or on the Consumer Choice um, website so actually i think nobody cared about this article and they they i assume they were a little bit disappointed um that it didn't make huge waves um on the other hand for me it was clear that it won't make huge waves because that was public information put into a very one-sided slanderous way um but that's it for me so i i don't i don't mind to be have my 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 closing style analyzed by Le Monde, so that's that's fine for me. <laughs> yeah, I would I would agree with you on that. Well, it's, it's such a cheap shot because, you know, there's been so much effort over the years to shame smokers, to shame vapors, and now they're trying to shame the activists that are standing up for them by focusing on their shoes. I think that can show anyone uh, how strong or unstrong the merits of their arguments are. Um, but I want to turn now to Reuters and their coverage of New Zealand's announcement of a rolling age ban on smoking. Um, but that's not the topic I want to discuss. Um, in their piece, Reuters goes out of its way to take a swipe at vaping. They, like almost all of the new out news outlets we critique, fall for the same false narrative advanced by the activism community 
while giving little or no time at all for anti-prohibitionists to make a fact-based case. This time, Reuters turns to Letitia Harding, the chief executive of the Asthma and Respiratory Foundation, who's quoted saying, it's fantastic having a generation that is smoke-free, but there is some concern around the messaging of using vaping to quit smoking and that vaping is less harmful or without harm. We absolutely have a problem of vaping, and in 15 years, we'll be trying to get these youth out of vapes. Um, and now this is an assertion without fact, and it's an assertion that the data doesn't back up. Michael, if you were quoted by Reuters, how would you rebut the points made by Ms. Harding? I mean, the first thing is, which is a bit awkward to report on New Zealand without mentioning that they actively endorse vaping to smokers and uh, encourage them to switch because they realize it works. Um, but obviously, for me, this, this youth vaping argument for most of this, as our scientific advisor, Bernd Meyer, always calls them the body parts organizations, I think they use it as a, to put it in, in forefront to dis disguise their actual argument. They just want vaping to be banned. And the youth argument is always a convenient one to, to bring up. Um, if we look at the numbers, basically the same in, in every country, especially in the countries which are still very open um, towards vaping, like the UK, but also the US, which used to be very open towards vaping. The numbers are so small. And I think um, when it comes to, to youth and the use of, of dangerous substances, there are way bigger problems. I think binge drinking is, I don't know, 10 times higher in the US than, than uh, regular vaping. So that uh, already this shows a little bit that it's not really about um, protecting young people. It's about getting rid of vaping. And I think the disgraceful part about this is that they are too much of cowards or um, want to, this, to, to say that they just want to ban vaping. Yeah, you know, you're right. We were pulling some numbers earlier this morning for something we were working on, uh, youth statistics in regards to other adult-oriented products in the United States. And it's interesting because 33% of 12th graders report using alcohol in the previous 30-day period. And, you know, right now that number for vaping is 11.3. So you've got uh, three times the number of youth who are reporting drinking, and, and yet uh, vaping seems to be the sole focus of, of um, these organizations that claim to be out to protect the youth. So it seems uh, that they're working another agenda under the guise of, of protecting the youth. Um, but interestingly, uh, just a few statistics to throw out there for the states, um, but I wanted to talk now uh, about a vanity fair piece, um, they recently published a story on vaping that might be one of the sloppiest, most error-riddled pieces we've seen on the subject. Um, one of the craziest lines in the article was when the author claimed that, quote, the Biden administration seems to be thinking about how to move more smokers to vapes. And I don't know how anyone who's been paying attention to this issue for even a moment could suggest that the Biden administration is a friend of vaping. Um, the FDA just banned nearly every single vaping product from the market. The U.S. Postal Service won't ship vaping products anymore. And Democratic congressional leadership has been trying to sneak prohibitive vaping taxes and flavor bans into legislation all year, all under the Biden administration's nose. And, you know, my, my point is with friends like those, who needs enemies, right? Um, Michael, did you have the chance to catch that article? And did anything in particular jump out at you as being especially egregious? Unfortunately, I didn't, but I would always recommend then um, to people who read that also to read this recent New York Post article, I think written by you, which um, <laughs> <laughs> which exactly shows um, what the Biden administration, but let's say the FDA's approach or the U.S. approach in general, um, which consequences that has, because um, we are... It's, it's already showing in the numbers now that this, this war on vaping um, has, has um, unintended consequences, namely to push up um, smoking rates again, which 
which which is mind-baffling to me that those organizations who claim to to fight against smoking-induced uh, illnesses completely ignoring those kind of facts because they don't want to see the vaping. And I think one of the bigger problems with those, when it comes to those kind of things is always that those organizations or government programs, um, they get funding for a specific cause, uh, in this case to reduce smoking rates, and then a new innovation comes up, reduces the smoking rates, and then they get afraid that their purpose of existence is gone. And normally governments don't defund anything. They don't say, oh, job done, we won. Um, but then they, they are on the hunt for new enemies. And the new enemy is vaping or nicotine in general, unfortunately. So this kind of mission creep we see everywhere. Um, but especially when it comes to tobacco control. I think um, it's so clear in those countries where vaping is endorsed or there is a very progressive regulatory framework for vaping, smoking rates are going down way, way faster than in, in other countries. Um, but they can't accept, seem to be not able to accept that because then the, their purpose of existence is gone. So they need to find new enemies. And unfortunately, it seems like they found it in, in vaping. I'm not sure why it's not alcohol or, or whatever. Um, but I would say it's this kind of mission creep which we, which we see at the moment. And that's very dangerous because then the, the actual goal, namely reducing illnesses uh, caused from smoking, um, is getting lost and it's, it's just going to be a, a prohibitional war on vape, uh, war on vaping or war on nic nicotine in general with very bad unintended consequences as history shows us prohibition never works. Absolutely. I agree with you. I think the, the war on alcohol uh, died a death, uh, you know, nearly, uh, what, 90 years ago now. And you know, here in the U.S., uh, I don't know about uh, policy around the world, but um, certainly the war on marijuana has ended. And so we seem to be uh, the new scaremongering uh, topic of the day. And so, you know, I'm so grateful to organizations like yours for, for highlighting the truth of the matter and keeping that at the forefront of the conversation and uh, the attempt to bring some balance here. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. Let, um, let's just hope for vaping. It doesn't take 30 or 40 years to, to end the war on on like with weed, I hope we won't take it won't take this long. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I, I actually don't think it is because I do think that there are places like the UK, like New Zealand, where there certainly is some some areas for hope. And, you know, also all of the wonderful public health advocates that have been uh, doing the Lord's work to just really get out the truth on the situation. Uh, true public health advocates, not those chasing the Bloomberg philanthropy philanthropy dollars. Um, but so before we uh, wrap up here for our last uh, space, um, do you have anything else that you want to plug or let us know about that we should be on the lookout for from World Vapors Alliance? I mean, generally, I think the most important thing is, um, as we started the conversation, that every consumer, or every expert, everyone involved in this whole area um, to raise, to raise the voice wherever we can. I think this is the most important thing. And even with small things, which, which a lot of people underestimate how impactful that can be. And if it's only an email to a representative, um, before I was working in the parliament, I always thought those kind of things get just deleted and nobody cares. But if a politician re receives a couple of genuine stories from actual people, um, they start at least to look into the, the topic and the issue and I think that is the first step we need to, to do to raise our, our voices wherever we can obviously as a consumer organization I encourage every vapor to join a local or a national or international group obviously in my case it would be, it would be nice to join the World Vapors Alliance it's for free we try to spread as much information to our members as possible, help to direct them where to take best action to, at what time and make it as easy as possible. So I think if we can all together keep up the, the um, pressure 
on politicians, I think it won't take 30 years to, um, to, to flip the general opinion uh, about vaping. Fantastic. And what's the best way for people to follow your work and the work of the World Vapors Alliance? The easiest way to join the organization is at worldvaporsalliance.com. But obviously, we are also um, on all social media platforms. So just following us there. We try to be as active as possible um, and, and guide everyone as best as we can. But at the same time, also to have some fun and try to have funny memes and uh, try to do something for the community. Um, we have loads of activities for, for our members. Last year we had, for example, the WVA Academy, where we try to help people to become more effective activists. So it's kind of a learning seminar or something like that, where we just discuss best practice examples, those kind of things, the community-oriented um, Actions are as important as the policy-oriented one, I would say. And obviously, for the next year, it's a little bit hard to, to tell you what we try to do because it depends a little bit on the COVID situation. But I really, really hope that we can do more in-person um, in events um, because obviously a webinar or a talk like this is nice, but having a general um, party or conference or whatever... Uh, would be so much nicer. I agree with you. You know, there have been a couple of, of events here in the States that have gone back to in-person, and it's been such a relief to just see people face-to-face -face and to be able to reconnect in that way. It's um, completely so different, right? Oh, very much so. I, I, I know all of us missed that during the pandemic, that human connection aspect that was lacking. Um, but hopefully we'll, we'll all be on better footing with that next year. Um, but thank you again, Michael, for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. We're going to be taking next week off, but we'll be back in the new year with more Can't Miss guests right here on our weekly Twitter space. Uh, happy holidays to everyone. We'll see you next year. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Oh, and Merry us. Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. Happy New Year. Bye.